This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicles political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicles senior political writer. And today we're talking about the California Democratic Political Convention. We have 14, 14 presidential candidates coming to San Francisco this weekend for the convention, and it's going to be chaos. And so we break down the chaos with, in person for a change, the Chronicles Washington correspondent, Tal Copen. The big man makes a special appearance, Chronicle veteran political writer, John Wildermuth, and we're all here, the whole mishbuka here, breaking it down. Next, talking presidential candidates in California on It's All Political. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome. We have the Tuto Familia, the Mishvoka here, the whole Chronicle political or much of the Chronicle political team here. In person. In person. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That was the voice of the big man. John Wildermuth, Tal Copen, in just today from Washington, D.C., the Chronicles, Chronicles Washington correspondent. And you are here for the greatest event that's happening this week. <laughs> 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 the California Democratic Party Convention. We have 14 presidential candidates here, but we just got word of a 15th. Because uh, Marianne Williamson will be at the convention, but will not be speaking. But we have 14 candidates, uh, presidential candidates here in San Francisco. And we're going to talk about what's the significance of that? Yeah. What's, uh, why, first of all, uh, why are they all coming here? Is it, this is supposed to be Kamala Harris's state, right? She, she's got all the endorsements. She's raised the most money here. Uh, why, why are all these folks here? And, and why hasn't uh, Kamala Harris, why isn't this considered to be her state to be locked up? Well, it may be her state. I mean, certainly she's going to get an awful lot of uh, the delegates to California, but there's plenty to go around. Uh, we California has almost twice as many delegates to the Democratic Convention as any other state, and the way it's designed is uh, nothing even resembling winner-take-all. It's like winner-take-some. Uh, the majority of the uh, delegates are assigned by who wins each of the individual congressional districts. And even then, if somebody just gets 15% in any district, they are guaranteed at least one delegate. So 53 uh, congressional districts, some statewide stuff, there's plenty for everybody to get a piece of the action. 
And, you know, I mean, Kamala Harris has some advantages here. Obviously, she's run statewide in California. So yeah. she knows sort of the and one and she knows the mechanics of the state. And she knows, you know, she's got a little bit of a sort of home field advantage at the convention because she knows so many of the, you know, locals and the local politicians. But it's not like California has been <laughs> unknown to Democratic politicians nationally. You know, it's not some <laughs> hidden gem off the map. Right. I mean, it's been the piggy bank of the Democratic Party for years. It's a bastion of democratic politics in the U.S. So, you know, when you talk about some of the folks that are in the race with Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, they are not afraid of her edge in this state. And, you know, I I think it remains to be seen how much they should be. But you definitely see other candidates feeling very comfortable going straight to her turf and saying, no, we're going to compete here as well as you are. Plus, this is a huge chance for visibility for a lot of the people at the bottom end there. I mean, there's 350 members of the media, more than that, that have already signed up to be at the convention. I saw some on my flight here today. They're all going to be here. And for a someone that's way down the end in the 1% range or anything like that, this is, you know, an absolute goldmine of chances. Even if you don't get the delegates, people get to see it. And that's really important. Oh, I want to go back to Harris for a second. What are her, what does her campaign want to accomplish here? What, what are the, how do they view of California? Because, uh, you know, obviously South Carolina is a very important state to them. How are they, th- what are they thinking about coming into this convention? Well, they're going to have to come into California with some momentum to be viable. I mean, I don't think that you, you know, so in 2016, I was covering this, covering the presidential race nationally. And I remember, you know, Marco Rubio had a similar theory of the case, right? He was going to be competitive in the early states, and then he was going to go to his home state of Florida and sort of bring it home with his home field advantage. And that Florida ended up being his swan song where he sort of said goodbye to everyone and and dropped out of the race shortly after. So you can't go into, you know, so just take a step back. California is going to be at the beginning of March on what's known as Super Tuesday, sort of the first big voting day after the four early primary states, which are Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. So Kamala Harris is going to have to be strong in some of those early states when... We're thinking third or fourth place in Iowa... At least. She's making a play for Iowa. She's been there several times. She's making slightly less of a push in New Hampshire, although her campaign pushes back on the notion that she's writing it off. South Carolina and Nevada are probably her two Mm -hmm. biggest plays Mm -hmm. in those early states because of the high Hispanic and high African-American populations there. So she's going to have to put some wins or close seconds on the board coming into California. If she can do that and... If she can deploy an effective strategy here to pick up, as John points out, delegates in all these congressional districts, that's where having run a statewide campaign in California before, I think, really gives her a bit of an edge is understanding, okay, what are some of the different districts' complexions? Where can I try to put up big numbers? Where can I try to eat away a surprise delegate? And I think what you're going to see at the convention, well, what you're not going to see at the convention, what we're all going to be trying to sniff out at the convention, is some of this sort of work behind the scenes to reach out to maybe the politicians that represent some of those lesser known districts to really do some of that ground game type work, figure out where your grassroots bases are going to be, uh, work with those delegates in the in the rooms. Well, one thing to remember, too, is that with the, the front-loaded primaries like this, one thing you have to do is just hang in. Yeah. You know, you have to be, it's like, you know, the NCAA tournament, you know, win and move on. It doesn't matter how you do it. 
But if you can keep enough strength, keep showing enough strength, everybody's going to start dropping off at the other end. And sooner or later, there's going to be only a few people standing. And that's when it gets really exciting. I was talking to a couple of consultants today. They predict, you know, of the, the 14 here today, maybe half will be here, more than likely four or five, because uh, we, we're going to start losing people that, you know, the, the 2016 Republican race, six folks dropped out before Iowa. Oh, I mean. Because they're gonna, we're going to lose people when they, well, as soon as these debates start happening, people start tanking, the money dries up. Yeah, the first then, Republican debate in 2015 was the first week of August. I believe the first dropout was September. Uh, I, I think it was, was it Perry Rick Perry. Or, yeah. yeah, it was Rick Perry and then Scott Walker not long after that. And those, I mean, those were not, no, you those know, were A-list names. names. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, the attrition will happen very quickly. They just announced stricter rules for making the third debate, uh, which I believe is going to be in August. It goes June, September. September. So June, July, September. So that third debate, it's going to be hard to make it if you're not in the top tier of candidates by then. It's hard to justify the theory of your campaign if you start not making the debate stage. Well, again, too, you know, everybody's saying, oh, how terrible it is. This is all the down, the real down, uh, down and under candidates, how terrible it is. But all they're asking, it's double what it is to get in the first two debates. But they're saying you got to show 2% yep. at four uh, national or state, uh, right. state polls. Uh, polls. And mm-hmm. then you have to have, instead of the 65,000 uh, individual donors, you need 130,000. Well, if come September, you're not at 2% and you haven't managed to find enough donors to send you a $5 bill, what are you doing in the race anyway? Yeah, and you'll already have had two chances on the national debate stage, you know, to make your name. You know, the candidate that's really struggling with these rules, I think surprising a lot of people is Kirsten Gillibrand, who's a senator from New York. I mean, she has not been able to hit that. She's been able to hit the polling threshold, but has not been able to get just the 65,000 donors to her campaign that may be necessary to qualify for the first debate. And depending on how many candidates qualify by the lowest bar. And, you know, Andrew Yang... Marianne Williamson, I mean, they're qualifying by the donor threshold, and Kirsten Gillibrand, who's a sitting senator, isn't. And that, I think, is raising a lot of alarm bells in in her world. And, you know, she's the type of politician to know – no one to hold them and no one to fold them. And she's floating her campaign with her Senate money right now. She yeah. transferred uh, several million dollars over to it to just uh, to keep her uh, to keep the lights on. That only works for so long. Yeah, yeah. and then people notice it. She um, will be here this weekend, and she will be. Um, okay, so Tall, you're going to be at uh, Elizabeth Warren. Of all these, first of all, the 14 people here plus Marianne Williamson, <laughs> um, uh, only two by my count, are holding public events, correct? I, I believe Gillibrand is planning to hold one, but it has not been noticed yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> TikTok, uh, <laughs> Senator. Um, so uh, Bernie Sanders holding a rally Saturday in San Jose. Uh, Elizabeth Warren holding a town hall Friday in uh, Oakland. Um, I believe this is her first big public event in the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, what are you, you going to be looking for there? I'm really interested to see how she interacts with voters. That seems to be one of her big strengths. Uh, she she can be very compelling in person. Uh, you know, she's she's pretty wonky on paper, but when you see her actually sort of doing her you know wonky explainer on stage, it's actually fairly engaging. And you know, I'm I'm really intrigued by Warren right now. If you're asking me, I mean, I'm not. 
I'm not picking any finishers at this point. I think that's silly. I'm looking You're not, at not ready for a top five yet. I'm looking at who makes it through the summer, as okay. we were just discussing, and then we'll start actually sort of weighing the okay. merits of each. But but something really interesting is happening with the Warren campaign, where if you look at polling, she's sort of the tortoise in this race. She yeah. started sort of unexpectedly slowly. But without any sort of major intervening event, she has been very steadily gaining a little bit in the polls, which at this point in the race, to be demonstrating a growth without some sort of, you know, game-changing town hall or major debate performance signals to me that she's got something happening at the ground level that's really resonating with people. So I'm really interested to see her uh, on Friday night in Oakland and the way she connects with voters and and whether she's, you know, winning people over sort of the old fashioned way by interacting with them, you know, one on one or one on town hall. She has well, a nice story, too, like a nice personal story about being a young mother and how she got into politics, how she got into teaching. And, and it's an, it's an, that part of the story we don't often hear from her. And so uh, I think that that's also a compelling. She's thing. also out there with the, the wonk vote. I've got yeah. a plan for this. Yep. And everything else. And she says, you know, you ask her, she said, well, here's what I do. And at least at this point, that's very refreshing because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the other candidates have grandiose thoughts. But, you know, OK, how are you going to go about doing that? And we'll get to that later in the campaign. Well, speaking of grandiose thoughts, they will have <laughs> a venue to at least several of them will uh, to offer their grandiose thoughts on Saturday at the Warfield Theater. This is, a, again, a private event. Um, several of the candidates, and let me list who will be doing this, will be... Uh, the big names. The so big we, names. We know Warren and Harris Warren, and Booker. Yeah. Warren, Harris, uh, Booker, Warren, Harris, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Gillibrand, Harris, Castro, Klobuchar, and Bernie Sanders will have 20 minutes to offer their one big idea about what would change, what could change the world. Uh, they will, and then they will be quizzed by move on uh, leaders and some move on members will be in the audience. There's an audience, small audience in the Warfield, which is a, a pretty big theater. There's only 300 people there. And so we'll get to see some some uh, some fleshing out of a story idea or of a uh, <laughs> story. <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> fleshing out of a uh, of a campaign idea. What, yeah. are you, what are we looking for there? What are we looking to see out of that? I think that, you know. One, a lot of the stuff is not going to be a surprise. I mean, it's going to be stuff that they've talked about a while since, especially for like Bernie Sanders and, you know, Elizabeth Warren. They've had things that they've brought out. But 20 minutes is a long time to talk about one thing for any politician. And it means probably somewhere along the line, you're going to have to do more than say, here, wouldn't this be a wonderful thing to do? You're going to have to get in, and here's how I'll go about getting it done. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the interesting part. And it's a, that audience also, the move-on audience, of course, the backbone of the liberal wing of the uh, Democratic Party. So we'll, that there is the pressures on there. Yeah, I mean, you know, the big question <laughs> is always what is the theory of your case, right? And there are some candidates where, you know, the statement of their candidacy has is quite obvious. I mean, Bernie Sanders from the start. You know sort of what he stands for. Elizabeth Warren as well – not a dissimilar lane, but sort of this, you know, stick up for the consumer, take it to, you know, corporate America kind of, uh, you know, fight. There are candidates who I will be watching to see if they can refine 
their message. And Kamala Harris is a, is a big part of that. There's a lot of people who say, what exactly is Kamala Harris's campaign about? And this will be an opportunity for candidates to not spend 20 minutes sort of finding some convenient theme that then allows them to talk about the, you know, five or six policy positions they've already put out, but actually be able to sort of say, this is an opportunity to say, this is the theory of my candidacy. And we'll see which candidates kind of embrace that and which kind of try to find a way out of it and continue to be all things to all people. As we've uh, alluded to, there are several candidates that will be here this weekend. We could like to call one percenters and (laughs) as in one percent in the poll. Which one of those candidates uh, should we be looking at and and seeing, you know, if they do have a pulse, maybe they've just been an overlooked stock. Maybe they've been or maybe they're just, you know, deserve to be at one percent. Anybody out there who you think is like, well, I want to hear more about that. Maybe I'm just I'm just not getting it. I don't know. Uh, myself, I would think John Higginlooper of uh, the former governor of Colorado. Mm-hmm. He's uh, you saw him the other day when yeah, he was I here. Saw him the other day. And He's uh, certainly more to the center end of the uh, Democratic <clears throat> candidates. But what he can say is that you know he was a uh, a geologist originally, and then he opened the uh, first brew pub in the Rockies mm-hmm. in Denver, and from there he just became mayor of Denver two terms there and became governor of Colorado after that on a record of getting stuff done. And I think that uh, somewhere along the line, you're, uh, the people in, that are going to be voting are going to be looking for someone who can say, hey, I've been there, I've done this, look at my record. You know, rather than look at a, a Bernie Sanders, perhaps, who can say, look at all the things I've supported, and when they ask, okay, how much of this have you ever gotten passed? You know, maybe they don't have an answer for that. So that's a possibility. My fear uh, on behalf of uh, Hickenlooper is that this room that he's going into, the the, the delegates of the California Repo- uh, Democratic Party are left of the electorate in California. That's a very liberal room. I, You know, he is known as Frackenlooper for his support of fracking. This crowd hates well, fracking. just remember, he was an oil geologist. And he's an oil for the for oil and gas company. Yeah. So he might, he might get – and then he doesn't like Medicare for all and that's another and favorite I, here. So. And there's – a definite possibility for shenanigans this weekend in the yes. sense that we don't know who, which activist groups or band of supporters are going to perhaps heckle or, you know, I mean, I have no reason to expect that it won't be a respectful uh, environment. Joe and I do. But yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean. This, this is your first one. I'm, that was my next, one of my next yeah, questions. I mean, I would... you know, the, the other question, this is not. This is not the first debate. It's the biggest cattle call we've had to date. So this is the the most candidates we've sort of seen appearing at the same event to roughly the same crowd sort of back to back. But they're not interacting with each other. There's not going to be real opportunity for them to sort of take any hits. What the the unknown variable is, is the crowd and how they're going to be received and how the, if there's going to be, you know, a cohort of supporters for someone, cough, Bernie, cough, that, you know <laughs> – it causes trouble or is accused of causing trouble. So, you know, that I think is really the variable. And is there a candidate that handles that in a really impressive way? Well, Joe, there's a reason Joe Biden isn't here uh, this weekend. Yes. He's not one of the 14. Why is that, big man? Well, a couple of reasons. One, because he he doesn't have to be here. I mean, every poll in their early primary polls shows him well ahead. He's got just about 100% name ID. And, you know, as people are saying, well, we'll be in California lots of times. We're going to be in Ohio at a uh, gay rights dinner on Saturday instead. 
But remember, the same convention in 2018 refused to endorse Dianne Feinstein for a fifth term in the Senate, one of the most powerful women in Washington. They said, forget it. You're not the sort of person we want there. Who has endorsed Joe Biden. Who has endorsed Joe Biden. So Joe Biden's people say, do we really want a headline that says Biden booed by California Democrats? Uh, it might not happen, but it could happen. And there's just no percentage in taking that chance. One of the uh, uh, always the more uh, raucous and newsworthy events, uh, Tal, you will be there at the Women's Caucus event mm -hmm. and uh, headed by Women's Caucus uh, at, the, at the convention, headed by Christine Pelosi, daughter of the speaker, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, the focus this year is squarely on abortion rights. Abortion at top of the news. The, the, many uh, Democrats worried that it might be endangered in this country. What are you What are you looking for there? And there are maybe some protests too there. there yes, there was a, a cryptic tweet from Christine Pelosi this week about uh, the possibility for said shenanigans. Uh, you know, some of the candidates will be stopping by. It's a joint event with Planned Parenthood, which is part of why it's so focused on abortion rights. Uh, it's not a long meeting. It's a, it's a couple hours, so it's not like, you know, all the candidates can come through. Uh, but Kamala Harris is expected to speak. Uh, I'm not sure if Kristen Gillibrand is going to be there, but she is actually trying to seize on the abortion rights debate resurgence and hope to sort of give her campaign a boost off of that. She is, you know, I mean, it's not a new issue for her, uh, but as we mentioned, she's been really struggling. And so, you know, when you have many of these uh, ruby red states in the South passing abortion bans. She's been really actively trying to move on that. Uh, Kamala Harris this week uh, put out a reproductive rights plan uh, that she wants to um, basically institute a requirement that if a, that if you know states with a spotty track record want to do anything that seems to restrict abortion rights, they would have to get pre-approval as opposed to having from them, the justice department. from the justice department as opposed to having them pass something and then having the courts come in sort of after the fact. Uh, so it's certainly a hot issue for Democrats right now. I think especially the women candidates see it as an opportunity uh, to really make a statement. Uh, and it's a powerful, you know, it's a powerful caucus room in, in California Democratic politics. Uh, not the only one, but certainly one. So th that's what I, what, you know, we were talking about earlier with what are the candidates hoping to accomplish? I mean, that's a constituency you're going to want on your side. Yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see who works the room and how when yeah. that group gathers. And Jill Brent, I believe the only um, uh, candidate to formally imposed, said she will uh, promise a litmus test. She will not appoint any judges that are not um, uh, pro-choice judges. Um, okay. Now, ordinarily, um, in one of these things, and, and the big man and I have covered many of these California Democratic Party conventions, the election of the state party chair would be the dominant news. Um, and especially, uh, there, and there will be a new party chair selected, uh, elected, not selected, um, uh, on uh, this weekend. Uh, and this one is like no, this this is going to be a great one because you have one candidate who said she's being debt shamed about her personal finance problems. Another has had problems with her law license being suspended. Another was accused of not reporting allegations about sexual harassment about the outgoing chair earlier. This is a soap opera. Big man, what, you, what is going to be going on there? Well, again, it's, this is inside baseball at its finest for the most part. Yes. I mean, But still a powerful <clears throat> position. A powerful position. But for anybody that's not 
a, uh, a major player in democratic politics, they don't really care who the chair is. But the chair is the person that decides where the money goes. Mm -hmm. They collect millions of dollars. And right now, uh, it's pretty much the chair hit him or herself that decides who they support and who they won't support, along with the convention endorsing people, of course. But uh, what's going to happen? Well, Kimberly Ellis lost the election in 2017 by about 63 votes. And, you know, she can certainly sit up and say, I told you so, now that the guy who beat her is out for... Uh, out for essentially sexual harassment of uh, Eric Bauman, staff the outgoing chair. and everything else like that. But she didn't make any many friends in the party last time because she lost the election and she refused to concede. It was like, what was it, three or four months before everything got down and everything was taken care of and they finally said, okay, you actually did lose. Uh, you're looking right now at uh, one of the main her main challengers is a guy from L.A. He's the head of the... Um, uh, Los Angeles County Federation of Labor, Rusty Hicks. And if you wanted to call a uh, <clears throat> the establishment choice, I think you could probably point to him. He's got a lot of backing from legislators and everything. And, you know, he's from L.A. They, he represents uh, members of his federation, or about 800,000 union workers down there. So, you know, it'll be an interesting fight. And, I mean, <clears throat> if, if no one makes it on the first ballot and we go into Sunday... We, you know, there's there's a lot of question of whether Bernie Sanders' speaking slot on Sunday will have an impact then on who shows up and in you know what the mood is like for the second for the rounds of voting and you know there's a there's the, these presidential candidates might also have some vested interest in seeing who ends up in charge of the California Democratic Party. So there's a lot of room for you know you talked about inside baseball, but I mean it could be some pretty intriguing inside baseball. Well, it's an almost guarantee that there's going to be a runoff yeah. unless someone gets fifty percent plus one. They have a runoff early Sunday morning. I mean eight to ten a.m. in the morning, yeah. and uh, that's the way it looks with seven candidates out there. At least three fairly substantially backed, it's uh, it's going to go to a runoff. Yeah. All right, Tal, you're the rookie here and the, <laughs> in terms of going to the California Democratic Party convention. You got some advice from a, <laughs> a highly placed source, someone who's been to many conventions, not, not John or I. W tell us about who warned you or yes. advised you about what to expect. So uh, last week I, I caught Kamala Harris in, in the Capitol. Actually, we um, spoke about the uh, raid of the journalist in, in connection with the Adachi leak. And uh, as she was leaving, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll see you in San Francisco. I'll be at the convention. She was like, oh, have you been to one of these before? I was like, the national ones, but never. And she was like, oh. It's a whole thing. So <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. <laughs> yes. <It laughs> so is. I got my warning. Well, yeah, and you'll notice not even uh, less so than the Republicans, but there's an awful lot of electeds that don't show up or show up for a quick handshake and that's it. Yeah. Because again, there's no percentage and all you do is you know, you make enemies, not friends at a lot of these things. Yes. So. And uh, one person who we know will not be there is California's senior senator, Diane Feinstein. Because, Absolutely. Because she's not running. So <laughs> we may never see her again at, the, at one of these. Since and she would probably be just as happy she's about She's very happy not to attend. All right. We will, uh, we will dive into the, uh, into the abyss and we will uh, catch up on, on uh, after. We'll tell you what we hear. Hopefully, see you days. on the other side. Hopefully, we'll see you <laughs> Hopefully make it out. <laughs> All of us will make it to yes. the other end. <laughs> well, one of us has to do the podcast on, <laughs> yeah. on Sunday. All right. 
thanks all for being here. I'd like to thank Tal Copen for being here today from Washington, D.C. It was great to see her in person. I'd like to thank the big man, John Watermuth, for being here. I'd like to thank Libby Coleman for producing today's podcast. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And remember, when it's a whole thing, it's all political. It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.